Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tremendously. It's a privilege to call you Dad. It's a privilege to call you Lord, Savior. Recognition that you were the God who has created the heavens and the earth, Lord. You made me. You made us. So we're declaring, Jesus, that you were alive. It's not some religious oddity, but the reality that our God became a man just like us, that you died for our sins. That you were buried and put in a tomb, and on the third day, you rose from the dead. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice for my sins, for our sins, for the sins of the whole world. And thank you for the testimony of your life that you were seated at the right hand of your Father, of our God. There's a day coming when you're going to return. The reality of what we were singing earlier, you are God with us. You were Emmanuel. You were here, present. You dwell in us. You were at home in us through faith. You were in this room. You were here to speak. We want to see you be glorified, Lord, and honored. So give us your spirit now. Let us hear your voice. Let us hear you speak to us. As a church, as individuals, let us hear you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's read the first six verses. It says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me? And that question is what I titled this morning's sermon, but just asking this question, what can man do to you? And when you sit in the Hebrews text, it's literally, what can Adam do to me? Maybe we want to ask, what has Adam done to us? We sit in those, those beginning passages of Genesis declaring that God created the heavens and the earth. You have God commanding, you have God blessing, giving instruction. And then immediately there in Genesis chapter 3, we have the voice of the enemy. We have the activity of the enemy in Adam and Eve's life. And Adam and Eve choose to what? They choose to listen to an, an opposing voice rather than listening to God's voice. And because they listened to God's voice, death entered into God's creation. And this opens up the whole story about Jesus Christ, who he is as our creator, 
who he is as our savior, who he is as our king, what it is that he did by becoming a man, what it is he did on the cross, what the resurrection communicates to us, the promises of his return, the promise that there is coming a day when you and I will be in his presence made new. There's a new heaven coming. There's a new earth coming. There's a new Jerusalem coming. There are new bodies coming. And it's his creation coming to the fullness of him for all eternity in his presence. But we live in this world and we look at a lot of what man has done to other men. A lot of you, as you sit in your own story, in your own context, I'd ask you this question directly. What has man or woman done to you? There's a lot of damage that men and women have done to other human beings. There's a lot of hurt. There is a lot of pain. And we can ask the question in the future context, which creates a lot of worry and fear and anxiety. What can man do to me? If our hope is in our government, what is our fear if our government fails us? If our hope is in the stock market, what is our fear if the stock market fails us? If our hope is in our spouse or a brother or sister and they fail us, what can happen to us? A lot can happen to us. A lot of pain, a lot of worry, a lot of anxiety. In fact, a lot of the thought processes that we have about life revolve around what can happen in the future. And this is where we're beginning with this like this negative note. And I mentioned earlier, we are going to continue to crescendo as we keep our eyes and we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. So I've already mentioned that just the book of Hebrews mentions in the very beginning that God has spoken in, the, in times past. He's spoken by prophets. He spoke physically. And we talked about that last week there on Mount Sinai where he audibly spoke to the nation of Israel. He's spoken to us in these last days through his son Jesus. As I've sat in, not just, you know, I mentioned last week just how God specifically communicated me exactly what I need to hear in the circumstance with my son at the same time, there's, there's other things where God has been speaking into me where I asked him a specific question. I've been asking him for something. And he told me that what I'm asking is good, but this is better. This is what I want you to be asking me for. Somebody spoke to me last Sunday, and there was a confirmation of what I heard from the Lord in his word. I was able to turn my attention and sit with the Lord in prayer on Wednesday and heard the exact same thing from the Lord. So three times. And then Sunday this morning, somebody else comes up to me and mentions, well, actually, so that was the fifth time this morning. So while studying this morning, I heard the same thing from God for the fourth time. And then before we began worship, somebody else comes up to me five times. I heard the same thing. Do you think God's trying to get my attention? And how this ties into where we are this morning, what I want you to look at and draw your attention to is verse 5, I think. Verse 5, where it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, if you have a Greek Bible in front of you, which I know nobody does, and if you could read it, there's five negatives in here. It literally says in the Greek, not, not forsake you. Not, not, not leave you. Five times God wants us to know and to be assured of 
Like as you hear the voice, the power of the voice of the one who created the heavens and the earth, I will never, never leave you behind. I will never, never, never abandon you. God uses repetition to capture attention. When Jesus, you see this often in the Gospels, truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto you, it's amen, amen. It's an attention getter. When God is speaking different people's voices in, in the Bible, it's Abraham, Abraham. You know, they hear their voice twice. God uses repetition to get our attention. So now that we hear the voice of God, he himself said, I will never, never leave you. I will never, never, never forsake you. We may boldly say what? The Lord, Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and the earth, he is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Again, we can sit in just the question itself and in our flesh and be overcome by what man has done to us, by what man does to other people, by what may come across our path in the future. But when we hear the voice of God promised to us, repetitiously commit himself to us as our creator. Sitting in that wonderful knowledge that I'm the object of his affection, of his love, of his care, of his attention. We just sang a minute ago that through faith in Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation. For me, that's a promise I hold on to because in my flesh, I hear condemnation so quick. I'll hear it from, I hear it from myself when I'm just sitting there chattering in my mind and on the things of the world. I condemn myself so easily as I'm having conversations with others. Even if somebody's, it's constructive criticism or somebody's just saying something, you know, I'll, t- I'll twist it very easily in my flesh to condemnation. And again, as we, as we remind ourselves of what the word of God says, and this is why we are in the word of God always. In fact, Nathan, this morning, Nathan, wherever you were, we were praying. And Nathan, we were praying, Nathan, you know, led by God to just read through a psalm. We're sitting there discussing the death of a child, a baby this morning. It's a heavy subject matter. We enter into prayer to God in that heaviness. And in the midst of that heaviness, here Nathan reads through a brief portion of a psalm. And for me, just in me, I, I just felt, the, I felt that swelling. I felt that peace. Even in the midst of the morning, there is hope and there is light. And there is knowledge that this child is in the presence of God, fully alive right now. So this, the subject matter of all this and why I'm, I'm harping on this and where the crescendo is going to go is the reality that God has spoken. God does speak. And we, we sit in the understanding of what he says. There is a bold response that we ought to have towards him and a bold response and activity and action of life. 
And this is where the subject matter is. So verse 25, what we looked at and where we were ending last week. See, we need to pay attention that we don't refuse, that we don't give God an excuse of why when we hear him speak, we don't choose to submit ourselves to his authority, to his command, to his nature, to his character. Be careful. See, pay attention that you don't offer God excuses. And then the therefore statement you know, and again, and you know, as, as these letters are being written, the chapters and verses came centuries later. There's this therefore statement. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. So as we continue this morning, I want you to have this visual. God has handed to you a gift. And he's placed into your hand. He's placed into your mind. He's placed into your heart. Grace. This undeserved gift, this undeserved favor, this undeserved love. And this is something that we are to have, to hold, to possess. This is mine. That as we have grace, this is how we serve God in a way that's pleasing to him and accepting to him. So now the conversation in holding on to this grace... There's these multiple exhortations because, again, I don't know if the writer's running out of parchments and as, as they're writing, you're getting to the end and there's just a whole bunch of uh, last exhortations. But the first one is let brotherly love continue. So as we're holding on to grace in the body of Christ, it's not that love was absent from this community. It's not that love is absent from our, in our community here. But as we're holding on to his grace and as we are serving God in a way that is pleasing to him and honoring to him and reverent to him in in godly fear in regards to who he is and his nature and character, may it be so. Let brotherly love continue. And brotherly love, this is literally in the Greek, this is Philadelphia. Even sitting in the news this past week, you know, listening to national you know, story and violence there in Philadelphia. Again, how, how the world just stands in absolute contrast to who our God is and to what our behavior is to be like as we are looking individually to him in faith that in our relationships with one another, that we let this sibling love, brothers and sisters loving one another, walking alongside of one another, exhorting one another, encouraging one another, serving one another. What a beautiful thing that brotherly love is. Let it continue. Let it grow. Let it mature. Let it continue. Let it remain. Verse 2 here, it says, Do not forget to entertain strangers. The idea for the entertaining of strangers is literally the love of strangers, how to be generous and gracious to strangers. And here by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained, been gracious and generous to angels. Looking to back to the Old Testament and Abraham, uh, there in chapter 18 of Genesis, this one example that we could point to, we could also point to the end of Luke when uh, Jesus is walking along with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They didn't recognize that they were with Jesus until they were at the meal with him and he broke bread and this revelation finally that this is the Lord. Listen to, this is, there's a lot of cultural stuff that's going on here. Again, Hebrews being written to Hebrew Christians. This comes out of the Didache. Uh, the Didache is literally, it means the teaching in the Greek. Its, its full title is the teaching of the 12 apostles. 
Um, this is one of the earliest documents that we have outside of the New Testament. So this, was, uh, this is a document that we have in history um, that we know existed from early church fathers quoting it. It was the earliest manuscript that we have is until 1000 AD. So just kind of given some context. But what it is, is it's, uh, it was debated in the early church of whether it belonged in the Bible or not. It doesn't belong in the Bible. It's not canon. This isn't thus saith the Lord. But what we can glean from this is some of the culture that's going on in the early church. And this is what it says in regards to hospitality. It says, according, uh, receive anyone who comes and teaches you. All that has been said above. So what was discussed above, which is it's laying down, this is the way of life, this is the way of death. Uh, talking about baptism, talking about communion, prayer, fasting. Now it's talking about teachers. If the teacher himself turns away and teaches another doctrine so that he destroys the correct teaching, don't listen to him. But if he teaches so that justice and knowledge of the Lord increase, receive him as the Lord. So what's being dealt with here is itinerant. Uh, This would be the missionaries of the day. These are prophets that are passing through. These are apostles that are passing through. So it says, in the matter of apostles and prophets, act this way according to the ordinance of the gospel. Let every apostle who comes to you be received as the Lord. Listen, and here's here's the limit on hospitality. He shall stay only one day, or if need be, another day too. If he stays three days, he's a false prophet. And listen to why. When the apostle leaves, let him receive nothing but enough bread to see him through until he finds lodging. If he asks for money, he is a false prophet. Do not test any prophet who speaks in the spirit and do not judge him. For all sins will be forgiven, but this sin will not be forgiven. You know, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, their interpretation here. Not everyone who speaks in the Spirit is a prophet, but only whose behavior is the Lord's. So the false prophet and the prophet will be recognized by their behavior. No prophet who orders a meal in the Spirit eats of it himself. If he does, he's a false prophet. The Lord is telling me... You need to go get me a hamburger. False prophet. If any prophet teaching the truth does not do what he teaches, he is a false prophet. No prophet who is reliable and true, who acts for the earthly mystery of the church, but does not teach others to do what he himself does, shall be judged. So if he's preaching you to do things and he's not doing it himself, he's going to be judged for his judgment is with God. The ancient prophets acted in the same way. God told the, the prophets in the Old Testament, the words that I give you speak, if you hold on to them, then their blood is on your head because you didn't speak what I told you to speak. Verse 12, well, verse 12 and in my writing, not in verse 12, and anything that you have before you, you shall not listen to anyone who says in the spirit, give me money or something. But if he asks anything, but, he, but if he is asking that something be given for others who are in need, let no one judge him. Boy, isn't this a warning to our culture? You know, if you don't give me money right now, The ministry that the Lord has given to me is going to fail. Our doors are going to close. Just all the manipulation that we hear. False teachers and false prophets that we're warned about. Let everyone who comes in the name of the Lord be received. And then when you have taken stock of him, you will know. 
for you will have insight what is right and false. If the person who comes is just passing through, help him as much as you can, but he shall not stay with you more than two or three days if that is necessary. If he wants to settle with you, though, and he's a craftsman, then let him work and eat. If he has no craft, take care in your insight that no Christian live with you in idleness. If he is unwilling to do what the way calls for, he is using Christ to make a living. Be on your guard against people like this. So as we sit in this exhortation of not forgetting to entertain strangers, we have our cultural context and what hospitality looks like. 2,000 years ago, they had their cultural context. Again, there's no hotels of the day. If there was a type of hotel, it's going to be typically a very seedy environment that nobody would want to participate in. Um, as prophets and apostles are going out in the early church, they're traveling, they're strengthening in church, they're preaching the gospel, they're encouraging, they're following the Lord's command to, you know, the provision will be uh, provided for while they're there, but they're going to keep going on their way, they're on mission, they're on task. So if anybody is not obedient to the instructions that Christ gave, he's false, idle, so, um, it's exceptionally rare in the Bible of anybody entertaining angels unwittingly. So, don't think that this happens all the time. Although, I have a couple question marks in my life. You know, that may not have been a physical angel, but the Lord sent a messenger for that moment on, on multiple occasions that has given me some question marks. Same thing, in our, in our love. So, loving, continuing to love our brothers and sisters in Christ continuing to love those who are strangers that are coming across our path who are in need and hospitality, making sure that we're not being taken advantage of, but having open hearts and open hands in those. The same time, remembering those who are in prison as if bound with them, literally remember the bound as if bound with them. And this is context is going to be those who are in a jail circumstance. They are in a prison. They are bound because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know what? It may not even be just because of their relationship with Christ. They just may find themselves being bound. Remember those who are being bound. And again, a little bit different in this culture. Like as Paul is in jail multiple times, if he's not being provided for by his friends, if he's not being provided for by the congregation, he's not being provided for. It's not a, the, the ancient prison system looks nothing like ours. If you're in jail, you're awaiting your court date um, and you're not being cared for by the state while you're waiting for your court date. You're dependent upon the, the generosity and the gifts of others to attend to your needs every single day. And that's the exhortation there. And again, Jesus is very clear at the end of Matthew 25. Um, you know, the, these, these questions like, you visited me when I was in prison. Lord, when were you in prison? Well, when mine were in prison and you visited them and you took care of them, you were there ministering to me and to them. Beautiful picture of the body of Christ. Verse 4, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. From the very beginning... God created male and female in his image. He joined Adam and Eve together in marriage. And from that very beginning, Satan has been attacking marriage. There was definitely a point in our culture where marriage, that, that 
binding, that union between a man and a woman was held in high esteem in our culture. And all we can do is watch this slow fade away from honoring what a true union of marriage is. And again, the word of God is specific. Marriage, a union, is between a man and a woman only. Any other definition, it's not, it may be a marriage in the cultural's opinion. It may be a marriage according to our Supreme Court's decisions. It may be a marriage defined by anybody else's definition of what it means to be bound together in a marital union before God. God has a singular definition. One man, one woman in marriage is his focus and his purpose. And even as you sit in the issues of polygamy and all the issues that that dealt with, um, and even as people come to the Lord and they're already in polygamous relationships, I'm not going to get into that because that's a huge segue, but God very de- clearly declares what marriage is, why it's honorable, and why it's being brought up in this letter. The thought is that um, the opinion on whether or not you can be married and can't be married, the opinion on whether or not uh, uh, sex in marriage is, is, is honorable and undefiled or not, there's been ebbing uh, ideas throughout cultures throughout this time, or throughout all time. Here in this culture, there seems to be, in the early church, this idea that it is, it is wrong, it's a sin, it's, it's fulfilling the lusts of your flesh to, be, to pursue a marriage with a person of the opposite sex. And again, very clearly, God created us. He made us. It's not good that we, to be alone. He made us to be in a union with a spouse. There are those who have been called by God to remain in singleness and to remain in that service unto him. That's a specific calling. It's something that he empowers people to do. It's something that he calls people to do. But again, here in this letter, it's, there's those that are in the Christian community that are saying that it is wrong and it's, it's a sin for you. It's wrong to pursue marriage and it's very clear. It's a good thing. But again, there's a, in this context... That union between man and woman in the binding of marriage, in the active intimacy that we have together as husbands and wives, the enemy will do anything in a marriage to unravel it. He will do anything in a marriage to make it unfulfilling and as destructive as possible. We see the enemy's activity in this continually. As we're going to get in Psalm 118 in a minute where there's just there's a there's a violent pushing of the enemy to destroy our marriages. At the same time there's a violent pushing of the enemy for those who are not married to pursue uh, behaviors that are only allowed in marriage when it comes to human sexual relationships. The idea of a fornicator, this is selling yourself. And again, this is what I was saying earlier about holding on to grace. This is who I was. I lived with a gal before, I was engaged before, I did the bar scene before, I was this person. So when I talk about holding on to God's grace and the forgiving and the cleansing that comes from him, the changed mind, the changed heart, the restoration, 
Like this is something that I sit in personally. So it's not that we pick up the stones and that we throw them at the heads of those who are participating in these behaviors outside of Christ. We preach to them the truth. We preach love. Those who are in the body of Christ, if you name the name of Jesus as your God and as your Savior and you're pursuing behaviors sexually outside of a marriage context, it's a sin. It's a sin that needs to be confessed. It's a sin that Jesus will cleanse us from. He forgives us from. He's faithful and just to cleanse us from all this, all unrighteousness. But when you look at the body of Christ in our culture today, many, many of what congregation community life in Christ looks like is not much different from the culture around us. And that's a very sad testimony because many people who are attempting to listen to the voice of Christ are listening to the voice of the enemy, listening to worldly philosophies, worldly reasonings, coming up with, well, you know, just, you guys know the culture, you know what we live in. Here's what the word of God says. It's very clear. Um, it's clear. So I don't want to preach the choir anymore on that. Verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. So we're talking about love of brothers and sisters, love for strangers, love for those who are in prison, love for our spouses, whether you're already married or not, that maybe your attention needs to be on the, the future spouse that the Lord's going to bring to you. And here, don't be a lover of money, controlled by money. I was just sitting in the, in reading through the exhortation of the Didache. We listened to the exhortation continually in the New Testament. Don't be a lover of money, of stuff, being content, being sufficient with the things that are in today. We can sit with Paul in Philippians where he talked about that he learned to be content in all things, whether he was living in abundance or whether he had absolutely nothing. Being content in the Lord and the, and the reason again, the exhortation. Why? Because God has declared to us repetitiously, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me? And now you can tell that I'm in a big hurry. Turn to Psalm 118, and this is where we're going to end. But that, that question, well, really the statement of the Lord is my helper, I will not fear that declaration, this outstanding question, what can man do to me? Absolutely nothing because God is my God. This comes out of Psalm 118. It is sandwiched between the shortest psalm in the Bible, 117, and the longest, 119. This is a psalm that is quoted multiple times in the New Testament. For those of you who are familiar with the New Testament, you'll hear, you'll recognize as we cross those verses. But this is where I want our minds to be. This is where the crescendo is as we sit in the context of whether it's relationship in the church, relationship with strangers, relationship with our spouses, relationship with those who are in need or bound, whether it's physically bound in prison, spiritually bound in sin. When it comes to just this, this culture that we live in and the reality that God is with us, he'll never forsake us, he'll never abandon us, he'll never leave us. 
as we're holding on to his grace, the song that we are going to sit in, this is a song that Jesus would have sang the night before he was crucified. So this is one of the the Hillel songs, the songs of praise. This was part of the Passover celebration. So Hebrews' exhortation to us is to fix our eyes on who? So fix our eyes on Jesus as we go through this and hear it from his context. Not just your own personal, and we'll look at those things, but hear it from his context to understand just as we listen to Jesus listening to his father saying that he would never leave or forsake him, Jesus trusted in that promise. As he's crying out, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 118, here's the call. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to Yahweh. Why? For he is good. Why? For his mercy, his loyal love endures forever. This is where the word of God, it is alive. It is active. For those of you who entered in this morning where you may be dealing with something, some kind of pressure, some kind of offness, where you're not feeling God's goodness in your life, this is the the call to your mind and to your heart and to your mouth to speak these things out, not just uh, to say them through some religious repetitious behavior, but here is the call, you personally, you church, you Calvary Chapel Alpharetta, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Let Israel, the whole nation, now say his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron, the priests, now say his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord, all the worshipers, whether it's of the nation of Israel, of us, you Gentiles, I'm a Gentile, let those who fear Yahweh now say, his loyal, compassionate, gracious, and kind love to me, it endures forever. Verse five, I called on the Lord in distress. The word distress, it's narrow and it's tight. You're constricted. I called. And again, this is the Thanksgiving that you can sit in from Jesus's perspective, from your own perspective, from whoever wrote this. I called on the Lord from a tight place. And the Lord answered me and he set me in a broad place. God often uses contrast to teach us his truth. We all know what it's like to be bound, to not know where freedom comes from, to not know where the outlet from the circumstance comes from. We know what it feels like to be constricted and not be able to move in this direction or that direction or the other. But this is, this is one of those 
Maybe the Lord hasn't answered your prayer yet. Maybe you have some historical prayers where you have prayed this. Think about it from Jesus's perspective. He was constrained in a tight place. He had only one place that he was going and it was to the cross. Lord, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. There wasn't any other way. He was tight and constricted. He called out for help. The Lord answered him and set him in a broad place. Here's our verse. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Nothing because God, listen to this. The Lord is for me. He's towards me among those who help me. So not that I live this life in isolation, but there are those in my life who are here to help me as I travel this road of faith. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust. It is better to find refuge in the Lord than to put your confidence, than to put your trust in man. It is better to find refuge in the Lord than to put your trust in princes. Today we'd say it's better to find refuge in Yahweh than to put your trust in politicians. Verse 10, all the nations, listen to this surrounding. You feel like you're tight, like everyone is against you. And this is, this is the context. All nations, all the Gentiles, they surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. Literally, it's I will circumcise them. Two ways to look at this. One, cut off, destroyed. Two, circumcision is a sign of entering into that covenant with the Lord. And through Christ, we enter into the new covenant. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. They were quenched, they were extinguished like fire, like a fire of thorns. You know, a fire of logs, it's going to burn for a long time. Fire of thorns, it'll be extinguished quickly. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You, this is looking at the enemy. You pushed me violently that I may fall that I might fall this is the activity of the devil in your life Satan demons spiritual warfare that we are in a constant battle with we are told in Ephesians 6 that we are to stand in the Lord and the power and the strength of, of his might. That we are to stand against the wiles and the schemes of the devil. Why? Because the devil is coming as a bully in your life day in and day out pushing you. He pushes your mind at every opportunity. God doesn't love you. God doesn't care for you. God doesn't provide for you. Go ahead and do it. Everybody else is doing it. Constant push. You are better than they are. You deserve more. Go ahead, take it. That's good for you. That's what love is. Constant push in our culture. This is why I repeat it often, but having a relationship with 
the God who created us, demands that we fill our minds and our hearts with his word. You have to know and you have to hear his voice. He's spoken through the prophets of the past in the Old Testament. He sent his son and spoke to us. We have these words in the Gospels. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit moved upon the writers of the New Testament. We have his words. We have his voice. He's given us that testimony so that we'll know his voice, so that we'll know his nature and his character, so that we'll know his love, so that we'll know his grace, so that we'll know that we'll be able to boldly stand and say, praise God, his mercy endures forever. I don't, again, I don't just say that with a, some kind of religious preacher voice. I say that as a human being who is destroying his life with sin. And as a human being who has walked with Jesus for the last 20 years, trying not to destroy my life with sin and doing the wrong things. I depend upon his mercy. I depend upon it fully in that knowledge that the enemy is continually pushing me, speaking to me to exalt myself, to disbelieve, to disobey, to rebel, to exalt my opinions against his opinions and his teaching. Constant pressure. The enemy pushed him violently. Now sit in this from Jesus' perspective. How violently did Satan push Jesus? How violent was Jesus' scourging? How violent was his execution and crucifixion? How violent was the spiritual oppression that came against him? You pushed me violently that I might fall. You pushed me like a bully. But what God do? Yahweh helped me. I love this. Circle this in your Bible. Underline it. The Lord, he is my strength. That, that ability, that power, he's my song. When I think about him, again, this is, this, is, this is very poetic language. This is a song. This is meant to be sung. He, he caused our, our hearts to just swell with love. We want to sing to him. We want to serve him. The Lord has become my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Listen to the Hebrew. Yahweh has become my Yeshua. God has become my Jesus. He saves this is a quote out of Exodus 15. You can go sit. It's the song of Moses as God has delivered the nation of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. He has parted the Red Sea. They went through on dry ground. The sea came on top of the Egyptians who were chasing them. And the Jews turn around and they look at what God just did and they sing. God has become my and our salvation. This is not just what God does. This is who he is. And now it steps into the song of victory. The voice, the sound of rejoicing and salvation. It's in the tents of the righteous. 
Listen to this, the sound of rejoicing, the sound of salvation, it needs to be in your homes, it needs to be in this building, it needs to be in our hearts continually. Why? Because the Lord dwells in here. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? He dwells in you. The right hand of the Lord. Who is? Who's seated at the right hand of the Lord? Jesus. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly, valor, an army, power. The right hand of the Lord is exalted, raised. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Listen to this. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Guys on Jesus in that. I'm being totally serious here. This is what he's saying on Passover night. Knowing what is before him the next day. I will not die. Jesus died. He was buried in a tomb for three days. So what's the proclamation of faith? What's the proclamation of faith that we can have for the child that died this past week? What's the tr- proclamation of faith that you can have for anybody that you know that has died historically? That you know that you yourself, should Jesus Christ tarry and not come back? Can you declare this emphatically? I shall not die. I shall live. In Jesus. And I am going to be declaring his works for all eternity. I'm going to declare it now to myself. I'm going to declare it to you as often as the Lord allows me to. Lord, give me opportunity to declare it to the stranger. Whatever that looks like, Lord, let me declare your works. Because your works proclaim who you are. The Lord has chastened me severely. We just sat a couple weeks ago not despising the chastening, the training, the discipline, the teaching of the Lord. Good Jesus is chastening. But he has not given me over to death. In that chastening, the context there in Hebrews 12 was you haven't endured to the point of bloodshed. You were still going. He has not given you over to death. Listen to this. Open to me the gates of righteousness. As you sit in, the, in Revelation at the very end, new heavens, new earth. Revelation 22, 3 says, There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor nor light of the sun. For the Lord gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. Verse 14 says, Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Jesus himself is the gate of righteousness. And righteousness, the gate of righteousness, only opens to you through faith in Christ. 
that they may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Again, just different categories of those who've rejected Christ. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them. I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. Jesus is the gate of the Lord. His righteousness is the gate of the Lord. Praising him, we enter into the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you. Why? Because you've answered me. So many times, God, you've answered me. You have delivered me from death. You have delivered me from sin. You have delivered me from circumstances. You give me the strength, Lord, even in those things where I still struggle and I still fight and I've got this thorn and I've got this circumstance. You have become my salvation. Not only have you saved me, you are saving me. And there's coming a day when you will save me. The stone which the builders rejected. Jesus was un wanted has become the chief cornerstone and this is just it's not just a stone for you know lining up the walls of the building you know the the context of the importance of a cornerstone in this culture this is dealing with the building of a temple this is dealing with the the major uh, construction of a major building where there's going to be much festival much fanfare often there's going to be inscriptions on this cornerstone because the whole building is set off of this cornerstone some think it could also be the capstone that last stone that's placed put into place Jesus is both the first and the last the cornerstone and the capstone and we are the temple that he is building as he dwells in us this was Yahweh's doing it's marvelous in our eyes this is the day the Lord has made we will rejoice and be glad in it save now Hosanna, I pray, O Lord, or O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Recognize that? As Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, referred to it as his triumphal entry, the imagery from Zechariah as he is seated on the donkey. Here is your king, Jerusalem. As the, as the crowd there is singing, this song to Jesus. Save now, I pray, O oh Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is Jesus. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord. He has given us light. Gave the Messiah as a light to the Jews. Gave the Messiah as a light to the Gentiles. Our God is light. We are going to abide in his light for all eternity. Bind the sacrifice. This is literally a festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Again, you, gotta, you have to see this from Jesus' eyes. Passover. The lamb's been sacrificed. Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. We sang earlier, 
The worthy is the lamb who was slain coming out of Revelation 5. John weeping because there was no one in heaven or on earth who was deemed worthy to open the scroll that was in the almighty God's hands. Told by an angel to stop weeping. Why? Because look at the lamb. There's Jesus. Behold the lamb. He is worthy. You are my God. I will praise you. You are my God. I will exalt you. And here's the call. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? He is good and his mercy endures forever. Worship team, come on up. This is one of those I had no doubt in praying and studying this week. In those circumstances of the verses that we're dealing with there in Hebrews, it's dealing with love and all these different relationships. And it's in relationships where so much pain enters into our lives, the difficulty, those things that we have to process through. And sometimes, often, that pained relationship, it's with the Lord himself. And then we sit in his voice. And he says to me, and he says to you, I will never, never leave you behind. If you feel like you're behind in your relationships with your brothers and sisters, if you feel like you're behind in your relationship with God, if you feel like you're behind in your relationship with your spouse, in the service that you have unto God, listen to him. I haven't left you behind. He's with you right where you are today. And he's telling you, he's instructing you, hold on to my grace. I won't leave you behind. I will not abandon you, child. I love you. All you have to do is open my word and watch me repetitiously reveal and manifest my love. And so as we sit in his word, as we sit with his spirit, as we sit in relationship with him, we watch him manifest his love to us every single day. Church, all you have to do is open your eyes and keep your eyes on Jesus. He is very present. And the call to you and the call to me, stand up. Give thanks to the God who gave you life. Give thanks to the God who has saved you from the death that you deserve. Give thanks to the God who has given you freedom. Give thanks to the God who is allowing that pressure and allowing that circumstance. Stand up and give thanks to God in recognition. He is good. And keep telling yourself, God is not bad. The bully in life, God is bad. God hates you. God isn't worth your worship. God isn't worth your sacrifice. And God's still small voice and the testimony of our brothers and sisters of past and present, God is good. His mercy will endure forever and his mercy is right here today regardless 
of what mess you may find yourself in. Look to him for that freedom. Look to him to hear his voice and stand and respond to him in worship.